This summer, we are just praying for and expectant of real revival. We're praying for revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our city, in this church. And you might think, bro, can we say that? Can we say revival? Like, isn't that a little bit presumptuous of us to say, oh yeah, guys, we're having revival this summer. Can we say, can we pray for, can we expect real revival? I think we can, and I think we can for at least two reasons. The first one, guys, is because the Bible teaches us to. All throughout the scriptures, the Bible prays and tells us to pray for revival. This week, study Psalm 85, Hosea 6, Isaiah 57, dozens of other verses where God's people are praying for and actually expectant of real revival in their generation. So biblically, we should go after revival. But secondly, I think Vertical Church should pray for and expect revival this summer because of what we know historically. William Prattney has studied all the so-called revivals in church history and found the great workings of God happened during periods of moral decline, social and political unrest, and immediately following an economic crisis and a widespread health epidemic. So Christianity didn't really start spreading like wildfire until the second century. Do you know what happened during the second century? The Antonine Plague happened. Killed 25% of Rome. Um, and, And people started noting Christians because only Christians were not hiding in their homes. They were running into the sick to care for their needs. And then another so-called revival took place the following century, the, thir- the third century, right after the plague of Cyprian. Again, one historian writes, quote, This again triggered an explosive growth in Christianity as Christians were heedless of danger, taking charge of the sick and attending to their every need. In fact, demographer Rondi Stark claims that in the third century, Death rates in cities that had Christian communities were half that of other cities. And then, of course, we all love the Reformation, the Reformation of the 1500s. Do you know what happened in the Reformation? Well, it was right after the second wave of bubonic plague. And pastors were all fleeing their posts, and Luther and Calvin are going, I'm not leaving. I'll die here. And revival took place. But how about our country? How about America? Well, the greatest awakening we had is the so-called Great Awakening, right at the very end of the 1700s. During the 1700s, immorality was high. There was huge political and social unrest as the country was literally being birthed into existence. And there were two little things called tuberculosis and smallpox that were killing thousands. So Prattney, whose research came out far before COVID came on the scene, concluded the four main ingredients that have historically set up a spiritual revival are moral decline, an economic crisis, major social transitions, and a widespread illness of some kind. He writes, quote, As with most revivals, once those timbers are positioned, it only takes a catalytic spark 
to set the fire ablaze. So both biblically and historically, we're not crazy to be praying for and expectant of real revival this summer. We just need God to give us a spark. And guys, why wouldn't God give us a spark this morning? I can't see anyone smile. Just nod your heads if you want a spark from God. Let's go. Let's go. This morning, God, we are praying for a spark. So I want to ask you a question. What battles are you fighting this week? You know, the Christian life is a walk. The Christian life is also a war. Being a Christian means being in battles until the king returns. So do you know what battles God wants you to fight this coming week? Maybe you got some internal battles. You're feeling depressed or just bored with life. Maybe you're struggling with um, sexual fantasies and lust and pornography. Maybe you're, you're just feeling super impatient with the kids. You're all stuck at home and you're battling your anger. Maybe you're just feeling so lukewarm in your faith and nothing is really happening and you know you've got a battle to fight for some fire again. Or maybe it's an external battle. Maybe it's your marriage. Things aren't as hot as they used to be. Things are getting kind of stale and it's my fault. Maybe it's a financial situation. Or maybe there's an opportunity in your life that you know or you suspect at least that the Lord wants you to lean in on, but you're just really scared. I have those all the time. We're just scared and we need to fight for faith. Let me ask you, what battle are you fighting this week? And if your answer is none, I'm concerned for you. Between Satan and your sin and the world, every Christian has dozens of battles to fight. So do you know what you're fighting this week? I hope you do, because today the Lord, the, the Lord of armies, is going to teach us how he brings revival to the battle. You know, some of us have given up. I have in, in many battles. I've rolled over. I've grown complacent. I stopped fighting. And so I need, and I believe many of us need, the Lord to, to spark something this morning. I think he needs to revive the battle and help us fight again. And I think he wants to do that through 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So grab your Bible or your phone. If you're at home, grab your Bible or your phone. Open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're meeting a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he was a good king. If you look back at chapter 17, verse 6, God says that Jehoshaphat's heart was courageous and in the ways of God. And so God was protecting him, and there was peace in all of the land until chapter 20. And chapter 20, you guys, what we're studying this morning, God wants Jehoshaphat to fight. And so he's going to show us five ways that God reveals and revives the battle. If you're there, say there. Come on, if you're there, say there. The first one is in verse 1. Preacher's not making anything up this morning. We're just going to go verse by verse. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and, and with them some of the Menunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, 
a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Stop there. If you look back to 2 Chronicles 17.10, you can go ahead if you want, 17 verse 10, it says that the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. So back in in chapter 17, God made all the surrounding kingdoms so fear Judah and Jehoshaphat that there was peace. So what's going on in chapter 20 when the Moabites, Ammonites, and Mennonites are all surrounding them? Well, obviously God had removed the fear of Yahweh from them. Apparently, loved ones, God wants this battle to happen. Point one, the first way God brings revival to our battle is by appointing a problem. If you're taking notes, write that down. By appointing a problem. No one grows closer to God on the easy days. Amen? When the sun is out, everything's easy. Loved ones, we drift. We all drift. Spiritual breakthrough and spiritual revival never happens on the mountaintops only in the valleys. And so in mercy, God leads us to the valleys. Whatever problem you're facing in your life right now, you just have to know this. Whatever difficulty you're facing in your life is there because God has placed it there. And he has placed it there because he loves you and he's after your heart. He's, he's, he's placed it there because he wants revival for you. And so what should you do when God sovereignly sends something really hard? See it in verse three. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, here it is, and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. When you're surrounded, guys, we seek help from the Lord. When we're surrounded by attack from Satan, when we're surrounded just by the wreckage that sin has caused in our life, when we're surrounded just by hard things or scary things or discouraging things, set your face to seek the Lord. Specifically, let's get specific. Say, let's get specific. I love that. Jehoshaphat and Judah seek the Lord through fasting. Now, we don't have time this morning to develop a robust theology of fasting, but most basically, fasting is the physical way to seek the Lord. Fasting is prayerfully going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God to more fully express your need for God to move. All throughout the Bible, fasting is always what God's people do when they are most desperate for him. So whatever battle God appoints in your life this week, if you're desperate enough, listen, if you're desperate enough, you will fast. Your first move, I'm going to seek help from the Lord through fasting. But not only through fasting, through prayer. In verse 5, Jehoshaphat is about to pray And you guys, this isn't one of those really polite, 
oh Lord, if it's your will, maybe you could. This is not one of those prayers. This is a straight up battle prayer. This is God, our backs are against the wall and if you don't move, we're dead. This is God, you are our plan A and we don't have a plan B. This is God, you have to come through or we're totally toast. The second way God brings revival to our battles is by calling us to pray. But not just prayers, battle prayers. So let's read Jehoshaphat's prayer and we're just going to note four things, four distinguishing marks of a battle prayer. See it in verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. The first mark of a battle prayer is remember who God is. When you go through something hard, the problem always feels huge and God always feels small. Am I right or wrong? Guys, that's what problems do. They magnify themselves and they minimize the Lord. And so in a battle, the thing you need most and the thing you need first is to remember who God is. When facing something difficult, we all suffer from spontaneous small God syndrome, right? Something hard happens and it's just like God feels irrelevant. God feels distant. God feels like he can't help me. He's not listening to me. He can't do anything. That's what problems do. And so the pa a battle prayer begins with, okay, who is God? Jehoshaphat's like, God, you are the God of our fathers and you're in heaven and you rule over the kingdoms and the nations. Do you see what he's doing? He's remembering who God is. And then see what he does in verse seven. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? The second mark of a battle prayer is recall what God has done in the past. Isn't it amazing how as soon as you're facing something really hard, we just immediately forget everything that God has done for us in the past. Guys, I do that all the time. I'm just facing something scary and it's like the record of past grace just gets swept clean immediately and I pretend like God has never done anything for me ever and so I have no reason to believe he's going to show up right now. In a battle prayer, when you're facing something scary, Remember all the ways that the Lord has showed up for you in the past. Just pray, God, I remember when you did that. And how could I forget when you did that? It was so amazing. And Lord, thank you for remember, helping remind me. I, I remember when you do that. And you guys, you start doing that for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. Your heart is going to be strengthened for the battle. Now Jehoshaphat continues praying in verse 8. And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. 
Now watch the tense change in verse 10. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. He's like, God, they're here. The third mark of a battle prayer is request what you need in the present. Request what you need in the present. Guys, this is why we don't pray, honestly. We don't think we're in a battle. So what do I need to pray for? When you know the battle is there, the praying comes easy. John Piper writes, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. That's it. That's a battle prayer he's talking about. Battle prayers call in the Calvary. And then lastly, and I would say probably most importantly, see what Jehoshaphat prays next. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Here's a verse that was very familiar when we were planting Vertical Church. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The fourth mark is you release any illusion of power in a battle prayer. That's when you know you're praying a battle prayer. When God brings you to the place where you're saying, I don't even know what to do here. I do not know what to do, but God, my eyes, my eyes are on you. Buckle your chin strap. God's about to do something. When you're praying that prayer, buckle up. The Lord is about to move. And now we see God move in verse 13. Are you guys still with me? Eyes in the text? All right, verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord. This is such a beautiful picture. This is why kids are in the service right now. With their little ones and their wives and their children. Now watch the Lord move. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehezel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Remember guys, that's how we preach here. We don't say I think or I believe or we say thus says the Lord. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them 
and the Lord will be with you. The third way God brings revival to the battle is by giving you a promise. Giving you a promise. Jehoshaphat had cried out, Oh God, we are powerless. And God responded with a promise. Again, just see it in verse 17. This is so beautiful. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So the question is, do you know what promise God has made for your specific battle? Again, loved ones, this is why we read our Bibles. We don't read Bibles here to check off moral boxes. God hates checking off moral boxes. We roll out of bed every single morning to find specific, spirit-filled promises written by God to you for your specific battle. And it's nothing short of miraculous. And if you, if you read your Bible a lot, you know what I'm talking about. It's nothing short of miraculous how God gives you promises in the morning for battles you don't even know you need to fight yet. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden something happens that day and you're going, that's why he had me read that verse. Now I'm, I got it. Christian, if you're going to fight a battle, you need to break free from the bondage of your bed and roll out and go grab a promise that will carry you through the battle you're about to fight. So we're going to need Philippians 1.6 when we're surrounded by our habitual fallings. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. He hasn't given up on me. I'm sure of it. Guys, we, we need Luke 6.38 when you're battling a stingy spirit. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, shaken together, pressed down, and running over will be poured onto your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a promise. We, we need Colossians 3.23 when we go to work every morning. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This book is nothing but thousands of promises, blood-bought promises God has made to you for your specific battle. And so we get fired up about this book and we swim in it every single morning because like Jehoshaphat, we know the Lord will be with us. He's made the promise. Did you see that at the end of verse, was it 17? The Lord will be with you. And, and that's why we end every service with Matthew 28, 20. Because there Jesus doubles down on the same promise. And behold, what? I will be with you always till the end of the age. It's a promise. Jesus is in church this morning because of that promise. So if you feel scared about something, this week, not if, when you feel discouraged, when something hard unexpectedly comes across your plate, search the scriptures for a promise. God will give it to you, and then you hold on to that thing for dear life, and it will carry you through. 
all right, bro, but how do we actually fight the battle? We've been talking about reading the Bible. We've been talking about praying. We've been talking about fasting. But, but at some point, you actually have to fight the battle, right? You actually have to go out and fight. How do I fight? Verse 18 shows us. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Okay, so just picture this. This is, this is amazing. They're about to go out to battle. Everyone, like everyone, is bowed down on their faces before the Lord, and then a group of people stand up and begin to praise God. The group of people are the Kohathites and the Korathites. So if you remember, in the Old Testament, the Levites, so the descendants of Levi, were the people God put in charge to orchestrate the worship within the temple. They were uh, the worship leaders, so to speak. And one of Levi's sons was Koath, and in 1 Chronicles 6, we see that the descendants of that guy, the Koathites, were the people God put in charge of leading the musical worship. They were the first worship band, the Koathites. So everyone is down. We're about to go. We're surrounded. We're about to go fight. We're pleading to the Lord on our faces and then a worship band stands up and just starts praising God. Apparently they did this all the way to bed because the next verse, verse 20 says, And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here's a promise. If you need one for this week, you don't know which one you need this week, here's the one you need this week. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you shall succeed. Take that to the bank. Now watch this closely. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in a holy tire. Now underline this. As they went before the army. So hold up. We're going to go fight. And Jehoshaphat's appointing the front line. And he doesn't choose the rangers or the seals. He chooses the worship band. He sends the guys with the trumpets out front. This is so good, you guys. God had said that the battle was his to fight. And so Jehoshaphat decides then, Let's conquer her with the choir. And that's just what happens. Look at verse 21. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went out before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. In the trial, if you need to sing a song, just sidebar, sing a song of thanks. They're singing that Chris Tomlin song. You remember that one? Give thanks to the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Bad choice, but good verse. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Listen to this now. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were routed. 
For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoted them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. The fourth way God brings revival to our battle is by granting you power. The believer, you have to know this, God will give you power. God will move mountains. God will work miracles, but he will do it through the most surprising way. I just never would have come up with this. He's going to give you the power. He's going to work the miracle. He's going to move the mountain through singing. If I can just leave you with one sentence today. Your worship is his weapon. Just remember that. Your worship is his weapon. If you want to see God do something absolutely unexplainable in your life, if you want to see a breakthrough in your battle against sin, if you want to see something revived in loved one, start singing. Look back at verse 22 and, and circle the, maybe circle it a couple hundred times. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. You guys, he waited for them to sing. He stood back and waited for them to sing. Most of us have this backwards. Most of us say, okay, God, you do something and then I will sing praises to you. You see, most of us think worship is a response to God's grace. But today we learn worship is actually a means of God's grace. Singing is not just the response to God's grace. Singing is the very vehicle God's power works through. Turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 16. Now we're in the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. And in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. It's the middle of the night. And they don't know if tomorrow they're getting hanged or beheaded or just beat up again. They were just jumped by angry Roman mob and beaten with rods because they had exercised a demonic slave girl. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, and the, her owners got really mad because they lost a ton of profit. And so they got beaten up, thrown into prison. And so now it's midnight. And if they were sleeping, that would make a lot of sense. I for sure wouldn't judge that. You must be exhausted. You just got beat up by half a Rome. If they were crying, I don't think I'd judge that either. If I, th if I thought I was facing execution tomorrow morning, I'd probably be shedding some tears. And yet they aren't sleeping. They aren't crying. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Note, they aren't singing psalms. There is a word in Greek for psalms. We see it in Ephesians 5. That, that's not this. They're actually singing hymns to God. I just think it's cool that the Apostle Paul is singing a song that someone other than God wrote. But side note. So they're singing hymns to God. And if someone told me, okay, Chris, when life gets worse, like, man, when you hit the worst valley of your life, just sing to God. I would say, clearly, bro, you haven't really suffered because when life gets hard, like, I need something more than just singing. And apparently, I'm the one who hasn't really suffered yet. 
because Paul and Silas are at the very bottom. And they knew that when you are at the very bottom, the only thing left to do is sing. What are, why are Paul and Silas singing? Because, because they needed a display of God's power. And like Jehoshaphat, they knew that their worship was God's weapon. They knew that singing isn't only a response to grace. Singing is a means of grace that might get us out of here. And so what happened once they started singing? Look at Acts 16, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Let's go. I, I can't give you details now. We'll talk next week. But there is a battle that the elders are fighting right now on behalf of this church. And I mean, it is a hill that we are trying to take. And all week long, because we are so desperate and so helpless without a serious miracle of God, all week long, because I was studying this passage, I just found myself grabbing my guitar and singing. And singing. Why? Because I know God is going to do this miracle through my singing. Through my song. My singing is God's sovereign spark that unleashes his saving power. Amy Carmichael said, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room more or less when they start singing. Martin Luther said, music drives away the devil and makes people happy. Next after after theology, I give to music the absolute highest place and greatest honor. We know that to the devils, music is insufferable. Is it any wonder Satan tries to keep us away from church? Right? Ah, oh, you went last week, bro. You're good. Or is it any wonder that when you're singing, you're going, oh, you're getting kind of distracting. Don't sing too loud. Don't get caught up into emotionalism. All those things that we're hearing, uh, people are looking at you. Is there any wonder why he says those things? He says those things because Satan is slayed by your singing. Your worship is God's weapon. Loved ones, through spirit-filled singing, God will bring about a victory. So let's see the victory now in verse 24. This is so good. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. Underline this, none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could not carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, and they were blessed by the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with great joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had brought against the enemies of Israel. Verse 30, my favorite verse here. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. The fifth way God will bring revival to the battle 
is by rewarding the prize. The battle you must fight this week will soon be over. God will win. And on that day, your most profound song will be the song of silence, the song of your rest. Let me invite the band up. On January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other young missionaries were about to enter the jungle of Ecuador where the Aka Indians lived. And before they left, the final report is that they gathered in a circle at the edge of the jungle on the beach and they sang these lines together. We go in faith, our own great weakness and feeling and need more each day to thy grace to know Yet from our hearts a song of triumph pealing, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. And all five of them, just hours later, were slaughtered in the jungle. So did their singing fail? No. God used their singing to protect them from wasting their lives on the American dream. God used their singing to give them courage and to not be cowards. God used their singing to protect them from unbelief in the final hours of their life before they stand before the judge. God used their singing to protect them from fear. God used their singing, listen, to reward them the eternal prize, eternal life in the satisfying arms of Jesus Christ. So, guys, we all have battles to fight this week. And the weapon God wants you to wield is worship. Because worship is not just a response to God's grace. It is the active agent given by God's grace that brings about more of God's grace. So, Vertical Church, sing this week. Don't wait for your heart to want to sing. In faith, force your lips to move and force your hands to lift and God will shake the foundations of the prison. And one day, like Jim Elliot, you and I will sing our final song and through it, God will protect us too and God will reward us also with the prize of singing forever into the eyes of the one who has won all of your battles. Let's pray.